Hello, you are listening to Beyond the Briefcase, a law school podcast with Sarah and Meg. This week, we're talking about how to build a strong network before and during the law school application process. We'll be exploring how to do this in your undergraduate experience through cold emailing and on the day-to-day. So let's start off with what you can do to build a strong network when you're in your undergraduate degree at university. So one thing that's very important is to not be shy to speak to your professors. I personally was very worried about that when I did my undergraduate degree. I thought that if I went up to the teachers, tried to have conversations with them, that I would look like a kiss-ass. But actually, it's very important to get to know them and not just the work, their work, to get to know, to know them as individuals, to get to know the, what they like, what they dislike, almost try to build some sort of friendship with them. And to be honest, I mean, I, I actually wasn't too, um, I wasn't too nervous about reaching out to my professors. However, one piece of advice that I'll add to this, Sarah, is that because law in Canada is a professional degree it's some kind of graduate degree right you can even reach out to professors who have seemingly no connection to law whatsoever so for instance if you are a psychology major if you are an english major if you specialize in history if you are in stem you would be surprised at how many either adjacent or direct connections your professors in those fields have to law and possibly to even the law school at your university So what I would say is there are connections everywhere, truly. Um, And that includes professors and teaching assistants and research assistants that are not related um, directly to law. That's so true. And another important thing is if you have the opportunity to definitely attend conferences and events, that can be through your university. But if you have a part-time job or if you're volunteering at certain organizations, it could be through them as well. One great way to network at conferences is to find something that you share or you have in common with the people there. And of course, it could be as simple as the actual topic of the conference or event, but it can be something that, you know, might not be as striking. For me, for example, when I attended different conferences at work, one thing that really helped me was to bond with people through the French language. So as soon as I would hear someone speaking French to their coworkers, to the other attendees, um, when I had the chance, I would introduce myself and I would let them know that I speak French as well. And that was actually a very quick way to make a strong connection. Granted, it's probably because I'm working in Toronto and there's not a large pool of francophones here, but I think it would work in any really anglophone province if you're in quebec of course probably not um but just something like that can be a good similarity to work with but that's something to be cognizant of right is to say what is the environment i'm in what are the things that make me stand out right so in your case because you were networking in toronto the french speaking that was particularly singular so Listeners, you know, it doesn't have to be just the French language. It doesn't have to be just certain research interests. Really, the question you should be asking yourself is, what are things that make me really stand out and that I can find a kind of deep passion or connection with? Uh, whether that be to students that are a couple years higher than me or to professors or to uh, people in the workplace, whatever that is. 
Exactly. You'll, you'd be surprised how easy it is to find people with similar interests or who are pursuing, you know, professional aspirations similar to what you want to in, in different settings and settings that you would least expect it. And something, let me just add one more uh, note about conferences. It doesn't have to just be, you know, hoity-toity, really big name work conferences or, you know, legit conferences, uh, the, you know, the ones with the like three word three-letter acronym. It doesn't have to be like that at all. And in fact, when you're in your first year or second year of university, what you can do instead is you can attend literary journal uh, occasions, you can attend student-run or graduate student-run conferences, something that is slightly more middle tier. But what that allows you to do actually is to meet a lot of people who are interested in applying to law school that are a couple years, just a couple years ahead of you. And so then for them, what often happens is they have done the LSAT. They have studied for the LSAT and have all of those past exams. They have friends who have applied to law school and gotten into law school just one year or two years above them. So instead of, you know, reaching out to lawyers who have decades of experience, that might make you feel really, really uncomfortable. You might not feel like you're, you're in the place to do that. Instead, reach out to people just a couple years ahead of you. Because what often happens is... Um, one, realistically, I think they'll be they'll be more willing to share and help. But but two, I think it makes you feel a little more at ease as well. For sure. Although you'd be surprised how even people that seem untouchable are often very willing to help. I mean, Meg and I have discovered this even just through our search for guests that we could interview on our podcast. Uh, we reached out to individuals who just had a wealth of knowledge and vast experience in the field, um, hoping of course, that they would say yes, but kind of expecting uh, a no or potentially no response because they were extremely busy. But most of them were eager and willing and excited to help. And that was really a pleasant surprise because I, I honestly just expected them to be too busy to want to participate in something like this. I think so. And we will definitely talk more about this kind of cold calling process in our in our next section. But to end off... Um, your, the things that you can do while you're an undergraduate student, one really important area that you can make these kinds of connections and reach out is in your extracurriculars. So this is particularly the case if you live in a college town or even, well, especially if you live in a big city. I think there's all sorts of interesting people of various ages and backgrounds and points of their professional lives. I think it's it would be surprising. I think you would be really surprised at how many people share similar professional interests in the areas you least expect. And let me give a good example of that. So for instance, when I was an undergraduate student at the University of Toronto, I was part of the Hart House Chorus for all four years. And I would say that about 10% of the choristers were either in law school or had graduated from the University of Toronto Law. Many, many, many of them were lawyers. And many people were also um, not just practicing lawyers, but in the academic side of, of law. And so when I spoke to them about, you know, graduate school, about law school, many of them were really excited to just point me to faculty members at the University of Toronto, at Osgoode, at Ottawa, at Queen's, etc. Because they, they had gone through the process already. And they were very comfortable passing that along because we had spent so much time together all four years, but in this extracurricular setting. Um, Sarah, I wonder if you have a similar experience or, or an adjacent experience. 
Um, I would say no, but that's also because at the time when I was involved in these extracurriculars and in volunteer positions, I myself did not have law on my radar. And so I wasn't looking for that shared interest. So it's very possible that I encountered lawyers, that I became close to them, but it would be based on different shared interests at the time. Um, so that's just why I can't really speak on that point. I, I would say, you know, if music is not your thing, I know plenty of people who are really into athletics. That's a really big area as well, who all end up going to law or who, you know, are lawyers when they join these kinds of extracurriculars at, at universities. So I would really say, you know, have fun with these people. But if you are interested in learning more about their professional lives, once you do, feel free to, to re reach out and be quite confident about it. And I think that kind of confident reaching out takes us really um, smoothly into our next segment, which is about cold calling and cold emailing. Yes, exactly. So cold emailing, definitely a good tool to use. Don't worry if you weren't able to meet anyone uh, with an interest in law or any lawyers. I would say maybe organically in social settings or different things like that. Cold emailing works just as well. That's one thing that I especially relied on because when I found my interest in law and decided to pursue it, I had just moved to Toronto. And so it was an entirely new city for me. I didn't have a strong network. I didn't really even have any acquaintances or friends or anything like that. And so that's really what I had to rely on. And the main advice I would give everyone is really to do it because it does work. And I would say you have everything in it to gain and nothing to lose because the worst that's going to happen is that they will not respond to you. But from the people that I was able to get in touch with, none of them said that it left a negative impression on them to have someone reach out. So if anything, it's going to allow you to stand out. So Sarah, I have to admit, I have actually done little to no um, cold emailing or cold calling before. I have actually two questions for you. One, can you specify uh, to the reader exactly what cold contacting is, cold emailing, cold calling, as well as... Um, Run us through, I guess, the logistics of how you would do something like that. Yeah, so cold emailing, cold calling is when you're going to contact someone that you have no ties to. So no professional ties to. You don't know an acquaintance of theirs that can serve as a reference and introduce you. You haven't met them one-on-one. -on -one, and so you're using social media and other communication tools to actually reach out to them and to try to establish some sort of relationship, whether it simply be a conversation to learn from them or something more. So that's basically what it is. Um, another important thing I would say about this is that there is no perfect time to reach out. I know a lot of people try to time it perfectly, whether it be the time of year, different things like that, or wait until they're accepted into law school, let's say, to reach out to lawyers. You can do it as soon as you want. I started reaching out. I did wait until I was accepted, but that's just because my process from discovering my passion for law and wanting to pursue it was very short and, and very close to the actual... But passionate, short but passionate. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and very close to the actual, you know, application period. So I had to focus on that first and then, you know, go into more of the network building. Um... But so I started reaching out as soon as I got my acceptance. And from my conversations, what I discovered is a lot of people wait until they're actually in law school. And you can do that, of course, but you don't have to. I still got a lot of replies and a lot of help. And actually, I think it gave me kind of an advantage because I seemed so eager. 
and so I was able to stand out that way. I do have a question for you though is what do you I guess just for you personally in your experience what do you think is the right level of following up? Oh yes so so that's a good uh, a good question. The correct level of following up at least what I did is if I reached out a first time I would wait a couple of weeks at least um, and if I did not get a response then I would follow up. Afterwards if I didn't get a response to that follow up then I would just um, I wouldn't continue. But I do recommend following up because it has happened to me that someone did not answer the first time and answered the second time. And a lot of it, at least if you're reaching out to people in big law firms, is because your email is going to go directly to their junk mail. They have systems to filter everything out. And so sending that follow-up email can sometimes allow the lawyer to notice it and actually respond because they might just get rid of it like they would traditionally any junk mail and it's very likely that they don't go through it because they might have thousands of of emails a week. I think what's really interesting about uh, hearing you talk about cold calling is even though the premise of it seems really scary and I have to admit I think that's one of the reasons I haven't done a lot of it is because just the very idea of it haunts me (laughs) but you can kind of use the premise of it to your advantage, psychically or emotionally, is the fact that you don't know these people at all, right? So as long as I think you keep it really professional, you keep the uh, means of contact straight and to the point and enthusiastic, but then also really willing to work with them and compromise with them, I, the, it's like what you said, the worst thing they can just do is not respond. Exactly. I yeah. mean, think of it as if you encounter someone that you find good looking at a bar and you're like hey let me see if I can get their number if they say no it's the first time you're yeah, seeing them they're stranger- you don't know exactly they're strangers you have no idea who they are anything about you know their personality so it's not going to hurt as much it shouldn't be really yeah. embarrassing because you know you tried it, it didn't work out, but you're probably not really going to see that person much, uh, anyways. After. Listener, this is listeners. This is going to be a law school and relationships <laughs> podcast. Exactly. That's going to be our uh, our new uh, modifier to our intro. Romance one hundred and one by Sarah and Meg. <laughs> exactly. Let's let's move on to the day to day. I think a good, I mean, a good way to just live. That's I mean, that's our own opinion, but it's certainly in your own professional um, kind of schema. I think you should really just treat it, especially if you live in a college town, especially if you live in a big city, is that you should be kind to everyone because you have no idea the kinds of really interesting people you can meet. Um, And the people sitting right next to you having incredibly advanced levels of a kind of profession that you would like to go into, like you would honestly be shocked, I think. Oh, for sure, for sure. And you never know who is the person that's going to open up a door for you or someone who may have connections. And it's as simple as just, you know, smiling to them, having polite interactions, and that might be enough to get you where you want to go. I think so. And I believe I told this story, this anecdote uh, in one of the earlier episodes, but when I was traveling back, you know, back and forth from New York and Toronto um, I was, you know, I was still in graduate school at this point. I had gotten the acceptance from the University of Toronto Law, but I was still really deciding on whether or not I was going to really go through with it. Um, I wanted to take a lot of time to really think about it and be very sure in that kind of decision. The person that sat right next to me on my flight back to Toronto, they were a, I mean, they're a giant partner at a very, very large law firm. 
And we had about an hour's long conversation. They gave me a lot of advice. We shared a lot of similarities. And honestly, now that I have some time to reflect upon it, it was one of the moments that really consolidated and confirmed my acceptance to the University of Toronto. So, you know, I I don't want to get overly saccharine. I don't want to say it was serendipity or anything. But I, I would say that if you live in a really interesting place and you go to a, a you know a wonderful school, you would be surprised at how many wonderful people there are around you who are able to help you. Exactly. And one thing is you actually got that person's business card, I did. right? Yes. So mm-hmm. I'm sure that if you wanted to reach out and you wanted additional advice, they'd be willing to give it to you. And yeah. it was as simple as just being lucky enough to sit next to them on the plane and actually start a conversation. Yeah, I know. That conversation started with... Um, me joking about the game they were playing on their phone. So that was about it, right? It it really, I think that is something you can work on, not only in your undergrad, not only in, um, should you, should you go to law school is take advantage of, of social opportunities. Exactly. And it can be as simple as that, as commenting on, on a game, right? It doesn't have to be, um, some elaborate kind of deep conversation or anything like that. And, and one thing that I actually forgot to mention for the cold emailing that I think is important is yes. the actual content of the message sure, that you said out. Sure, that's important, definitely. So my advice would be to not use any type of generic messaging. I know a lot of the time when we hear about, you know, networking and reaching out to people, it's like, oh, send them an email saying you want to pick their brain. Can we meet for coffee and chat? That works like well. 20 people must want to pick their brain. Exactly. So that might work well in high school. But when you're reaching out to lawyers and law firms and different things like that, they're used to those messages and they know that there's some ulterior motive. I mean, we're not going to hide anything here. You want to, yes, learn from them, but usually it's to get more experience and different things like that. It's not just to chat. It's not to get to know them as an individual. So I find it important. And one thing that's helped me is to specify why you're reaching out to them specifically. So is it the firm they work in? Is it the area of law? Is it both? Is it the years of experience that they have? Is it um, their path that might have been not so traditional? You know, different things like that. And what exactly you want to discuss with them? I'm glad you brought up that now because it actually seems to me like when it comes to the difference between cold emailing and the kind of day-to-day interaction is that on the day-to-day interaction, you can start with something incredibly general and you probably should. You really should. You should keep it very casual. Keep it easy breezy. But when you are reaching out to people that you don't know in a purely professional context, it's so important to be very, very concise. Um, yes, I think that's really, really well put. Exactly. And another thing is just how to find people's contact when you actually want to cold email them. Well, if you know their place of work, of course, their emails might be public. But one thing that's very, very helpful and All of you, I'm urging you now to create an account. If you need to pause the podcast for a few minutes and do it, do it. LinkedIn and other professional platforms, they are your friend. I cannot tell you how many connections I've made through LinkedIn alone. And even a lot of the guests that have said yes to appear on our podcast that you will be hearing later on and hearing about their experience, I reached out to them through LinkedIn. Uh, Some of them are not even in Canada, so there wasn't really much of another opportunity for me to get in touch with them. So definitely LinkedIn is great for networking. Yes, I think that's really well put, Sarah. Let's move on to our final segment of this episode, which is about maintaining relationships. 
I think what's really important to keep in mind is that you don't need constant communication. Um, but I would say to not only reach out when you need something. Definitely. You need to have established a relationship with these individuals that's all, also built on something else. So not only what they can provide you. Um, one good example is just people in healthcare fields that I know that have been telling me about this. My twin sister, for example, who's a physiotherapist. What happens a lot to her and to doctors, nurses, is that everyone reaches out to them when they want advice. Oh, I injured myself. How can I rehabilitate? You know, different things like that. And that eventually, unfortunately, makes you seem very not genuine. And exploitative, really. Exactly. Yeah. And so they're not as willing to help you because they feel like all they're doing is giving. They're getting nothing in return. And that the only reason you created any sort of relationship with them was for that i think so something else too is you know uh, another another good example is what happens once you finish that work study what happens once you finish university what happens once you finish that great internship or whatever kind of interesting job and a couple months have passed or even a couple years have passed you know both sarah and i we are we keep joking we are mature students we we have a couple of years between undergrad and law school i would say that you should still keep don't don't feel um don't feel scared to all of a sudden clam up and cut off all connections and go oh my goodness if i reach out again they're not going to remember me at all they're going to think i'm a suck up they're going to think that i'm only trying to reach out for you know, whatever, right? I would say to continue keeping in touch, continue reminding these people who you are, um, who you were to them, so that when you are working on your personal statement, when you're working on your references, when you're working on the law school application in general, the moment you say, hey, you know, I'm actually considering going to law school. This is how we know each other. Would you would you be interested in, in adding your voice to my application? I think more more than often, when you maintain those good relationships, people are going to be very, very enthusiastic. Oh, for sure. For example, for me, one of my references was actually my professor in first year, in my first semester of university that I met for an introductory psychology course. Now, granted, we did establish a, a strong relationship outside of just, you know, professor-student. I did some work for her later on, and honestly, I would consider her just a great and, and an amazing friend now. But it's just to show that, you know, it doesn't have to be someone that you recently encountered or recently met or anything like that. You can easily even go as far back as, as that, even further back, high school or different things like that. And um, you'd be surprised by how many people are going to remember you and, and remember you positively and want to help you out. Yes, I think so too. With that, let's end the episode. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Briefcase. Next week, we're going to be sharing our first interview episode. In our next episode, we speak to someone at the tail end of her time as a law student. Hala Omar shares her experience at Osgoode Hall Law School, as well as some advice for prospective and current students. If you like this episode, please rate, review, subscribe, share with your friends. If this is the first episode you're listening to of our podcast, if this is the first one you've stumbled upon, please check out our Getting Into Law School series. That's just the previous three episodes. Check out our Instagram uh, details, please, Sarah. At Beyond the Briefcase podcast. To keep in touch and up to date with our episodes, with our guest speakers, as well as just the interesting, interesting things we're going to bring you. 
Thank you, Adam, our technical producer. And thank you, listeners. I've been Meg. I've been Sarah. Bye. <laughs>